Progressive presents The Sounds of the Old World. The year is 2019, and someone is waiting for the previews to start in a movie theater. Hey, you want anything? Popcorn? Soda? No, nothing? This has been The Sounds of the Old World. Brought to you by Progressive, where drivers can still switch and save like it's 2019. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. When it comes to working at GEICO, our best advocates are our employees, like Maxine. But since she's so focused on growing her career, we hired an actor to read her story. At GEICO, I love mentoring the new associates to help them make this a career and not just a job. And with new opportunities and job stability, GEICO has been helping people grow their careers for over 75 years. The only downside? She still hasn't met the gecko. Where are you, fella? Ready to start your career, Kansas City? We're hiring claim sales and service agents. Apply online today at geico.job slash Kansas City. You're listening to the Heroes Podcast Network. Welcome back to another episode of Kaiju Curry House. It's episode 22. My name's Alex. I'm joined by Paul. Hello. And Joe. Howdy there. Right, kicking off the episode, what have Kaiju been up to, Paul? Um, I have recently had a minor operation, which meant I was bedbound for the weekend and decided to put the PlayStation 4 in my room. Hoping to do some gaming, get on with that um, city shrouded in shadow. But it turns out the bedroom TV is a bit too small for that. So I was binging Netflix and I watched Ultraman and Castlevania Season 2. I don't know if either of you have seen... I'm guessing you've seen Ultraman. I've seen both. It's Yeah, Ultraman was good. I thought Castlevania was better. Um, for those of you who don't know Castlevania, it's a video game and it's now been adapted into like, an anime. It's... It's got lots of references to the game. It's violent. It, you know, it's like it's manga, but it's American made, and it's got you know mm. the werewolves well, and vampires and demons. It's it's great. I really recommend. Well, that. I I played uh, Castlevania, but I've not seen it. So is it good stuff? It is great stuff. It's good stuff. Yeah. It's uh, there's two seasons out, and a third is in the making. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, if you if you play the games, you'll probably get some of the references thrown in. If you don't, it it really doesn't matter because it's you know it's it's about Dracula and you know um, yeah. a, a band of hunters trying to kill him. So it's it's good stuff. It's a really fun one. Definitely not for kids. Ultraman was quite no. different though. Uh, can we talk more about Ultraman? Since that's a little bit more kaiju. But this the show that Netflix has put out, while good, it takes place after the original Ultraman series. So the original whoop, giant guy. Yes. So <laughs> Ultraman apparently like that being left him, which happened at the end of the Ultraman series for those of us who haven't watched it. I mean, like that is canon, but apparently like the regular guy retained a bit of his DNA in him and passed it on to his kid. And now the kid fights, you know, like aliens and stuff on earth as a regular sized Ultraman which is both cool, but at the same time, he's not giant. So I find it a little bit off-putting. Don't know where I stand with it. It has its cool moments, though. That didn't even bother me. I didn't... Yeah, I completely forgot they got big. I didn't watch the original series. I've just seen the anime. Oh, well, the original series, he's like Godzilla-sized. He's... Yeah, I it's think... It's a bit jarring I've, to I've have him suddenly that remember it. tiny. <laughs> I really like the suit. I thought the suit was very cool. I'm very tempted to pick up a model. Oh, suit's great. Yeah, suit's super cool. You should do a cosplay for the con, Paul. Oh, God. That'd be a lot of effort. I, I'd pay to see that. <laughs> yeah, you would. <laughs> and are you recovered from your operation? Um, pretty much, yeah. Yeah, feeling good now. Sp- splendid. So, um, Joe, what have kind you You always have to? the most interesting things. Um, right, <laughs> since we recorded just a little while ago, um, I took Jason Welling up on his offer. We recorded that Christmas, you know, deal special with him, with Awesome Collector. So I pounced on the Nekamothra, which was on my daughter's want list. 
So happy days, Charlotte is getting a Mothra. Boom. Oh, well done, Daddy. On Christmas Day? We're hoping. <laughs> is it? Yeah. I wasn't sure if that was just like a general present or if that's uh, you're getting a Mothra for Christmas, which would have been amazing. I'm not getting it. She's getting it. This is not a this is not a daddy present. This is a Charlotte present. <laughs> no, no. Speaking of Mothras, have either of you guys seen those Deferial, um, the iridescent or the illuminescent um, blue Mothra and then the standard Mothra from the 2019 film? They look stunning. I have not seen them. They do look quite good. Yeah, they look great. Paint job amazing i mean the death of real line just basically keeps knocking it out of the park and it's rare that i look at an x plus figure and go oh i'd have both but i think because mothra looks so distinctive when it's glowing blue sorry when she's glowing blue and when it's got that sort of orange tint as it normally does they, they just look great both of them look so fantastic does she have a big head? yes um yeah, okay, yeah, typical Deferi. I was just trying to imagine Mothra with a giant head. Well, well yeah, it's... Um, Mothra normally has a giant th- head. I mean, when you think about most, like, butterflies and stuff, Mothra just has a big head in general. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, you know, in a surprise twist, Joe went for a Mothra. You've seen it here first, yeah. folks. Or heard it here first, I guess. Okay, I'm going to yeah. find that now. Alex, what have Kaiju been up to? Well... Um, a couple of different things. I, you know, when you're on Facebook and you see advertised one of those hoodies or t-shirts and you're like, that is a truly ugly jumper. (laughs) Why has that been recommended? Well, I managed to find a hoodie that all I can describe as Saved by the Bell and Dinosaurs have a love child and made a hoodie and upon my person right now i have an extra large bright good knows what color dinosaur hoodie it's got dinosaurs on it's got lime green it's got jazzy blue pink it's bonkers and i need to get a photo and post it up because it's absolutely hideous but the important (laughs) thing about this story is that when i ordered it my daughter looked over my shoulder and said oh can i have one i was like you know what yeah so now i've got matching hideous hoodies so that, that, that that was fairly tremendous um I checked out a sort of horror film, sort of kaiju film called Boar, which was a 2017 release in Australia about a giant, wait for it, boar, uh, that goes around eating people. And it was more horror than kaiju, so it's not going to get much of a shout out from me. Um, and other than that, much more exciting... I've been stalking the Tremors 7 crew, and they've just finished filming in Thailand, so I'm rather excited about that. So Tremors 7 is due for a Halloween release in 2020. That is what I've heard. Very excited. Yeah, I'm excited. What's the format for this evening, guys? I think we should each review a film. Yeah. Are we going to do okay. that? I think we should do that. That tends to work well. People like yeah. it. Yeah. We should do it. Let's let's yeah. do it. Yeah. I like I like it when people are happy. Okay. Uh, well, I'll I'll kick off. So, as I mentioned in the last episode, I watched Krampus. Now I've been waiting to watch that film for a while. The reason why I picked Krampus, it's a number of reasons. The main one is that it's it's the festive season, and I felt like it was part of my kind of compulsory education because Krampus is a festive kaiju. And also we've been directed by Michael Doherty, the most recent Godzilla director from America. I thought, right, I owe it to Michael Doherty and to the kaiju world to watch another kaiju movie directed by Michael Doherty. Have the two of you guys seen it? Yes. Yes. Yeah, and I think I asked Paul a little bit about it and Paul kind of said, you know, it was fine. Joe, what did you think of it first of all? I think it was a great film. It was a slow build. It had a lot of great practical effects. The dark comedy was done quite well. You have just the right amount of, I guess, horror mixed in with the National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation sort of vibe that it has going on. Yeah. 
how we were going to survive Christmas with 12 people stuck in a house with no heat and no electricity. Or food. There's plenty of leftovers, Howard. Beer it is. Going on later in the film, Krampus itself, once they do that full reveal, and it is a great reveal when he finally comes down the chimney, let's be perfectly honest. When he, yeah, when yeah. he does come down, his face doesn't really move, but... When I think about it from artistic sense, maybe the fact that his face is frozen was an actual decision because of all the puppetry and everything that they could have splurged on. Maybe the fact that his face doesn't move and it's just stony still, that was a creative decision. So Mm -hmm. thinking back now, you know, I'm okay with it. But the whole film, it felt really solid for me. I think that it performs exactly what it set out to do. And it doesn't really lull in any places. Yeah. I think, I think that's fair enough. Um, so who and what is Krampus? Well, Krampus is part of Central European folklore. It's a horned anthropomorphic figure. It's half goat, half demon. So it's, it's on the... Aren't demons the already half goat? <laughs> m- most, <laughs> most that th- th- they try to be. I think goats have... A kind of a good presence within folklore, don't they? Go- goats have good coverage. <laughs> Those are hooves. Elk? Or a goat? What kind of goat walks on its hind legs? His name is Krampus. I think, like, generally speaking, if there's kind of a demon, it's a goat. If it's a black metal band, it's got a reference to goat. I mean, like, there's a fantastic Norwegian death metal band called Lubricated Goat. Check it out, guys. But, um, <laughs> back to, back to the kaiju Krampus. He specifically arrives during the Christmas season. Saint Nicholas is not coming this year. And punishes children who've misbehaved. Instead, a much darker ancient spirit. And, I think he's kind of like the antithesis of Santa Claus, St. Nicholas. He and his helpers did not come to give, but to take. Does that sound right, guys? He's the antithesis to that. I don't think he's so much the antithesis, because St. Nicholas, Santa, however you want to call him, Father Christmas, he rewards people for their good behavior, right? Like, that's his thing. You know, they call it keeping the Christmas spirit alive, but... In essence, he's rewarding people for good behavior. Krampus goes after the assholes of the world, the people that don't keep Christmas in their hearts. And I don't necessarily know if those two are mutually – I don't know if they're necessarily opposites or so much as one is just a darker version of the other. Because Krampus, I mean, mm. he gives gifts. You know, he, he doesn't necessarily yeah. doesn't bother. You know, like the vast majority of folks. I mean, even Santa Claus gives coal. You know, like even like, <laughs> he has his own form of punishment. He leaves. He puts kids on a list. He checks it twice. Yeah. You know, and he's good like that. He, yeah. Yeah, he either doesn't. He either doesn't <laughs> give them anything, and they have that disappointment, or they get a lump of coal. So mm. Santa does his own thing when it comes to punishment, but. Krampus takes it to a whole new level. He actively yeah. hunts down, goes after, and punishes not only the – I mean, I mean, in this film, I want to say that you know a lot of the people in that film definitely kept the Christmas spirit alive. You know, like they were trying. They were trying to be a family. You know, there was definitely love. But he went after that family because one person spoiled it. Absolutely, and I'll go into the specifics of that shortly. I mean, I'm doing my research as I'm speaking now. Um, Krampus, as a figure historically, has sometimes been paired with St. Nicholas. He is the shadow of St. Nicholas. As kind of like a buddy, so they kind of, they, they double act and pick out those kids who've been naughty and who've been nice. And my interpretation is that, that kind of Krampus would deal with the naughty ones. And I think Throughout European history, a lot of fairy tales have been more kind of harrowing. If you look into kind of like any Google searches on traditional fairy tales, things like Shockhead Peter, he's the um, the boogeyman who comes along and chops off the fingers of kids who suck their thumbs because they've not grown <laughs> up. It's yeah, exactly. It's like it's quite quite what? horrific. Yeah, have you not heard of Shockhead Peter, Paul? I have not. 
Yeah, Shockhead Peter. So little boys and girls who keep sucking their thumbs will have those thumbs cut off by Shockhead Peter. He chases after them. He's got, and he looks a bit like Edward Scissorhands. He chases after them with oh, giant. Brilliant. You're, you're teaching, you're teaching tomorrow's youth, right? Uh, I just want to yeah, make this yeah. clear to all of the listeners. Well, um, you, you are a teacher, right? You're, you're passing this information yeah, along. Yeah. Well, okay. I'm, I'm telling these, uh, these people to kind of watch out for Shockhead Peter and specifically Krampus, but because I teach well-behaved children, they're fine. And Krampus, he, because he's from kind of an alpine region, that's kind of the reference to the goats. He stands on his hind legs. So he's quite tall in the, the, uh, the 2015 I'm just going to say he t- this. He's Hellboy in the Santa outfit. He's like old Hellboy in the Santa outfit. <laughs> skinny Hellboy. Yeah, or, or just Satan in the Santa outfit. Okay, we just call it what it is. I mean, like you, you can yeah, describe this yeah, goat like thing, that. but it's Satan in a Santa outfit. Satan in a Santa outfit. Yeah, Not like no, no, Lucifer the Angel, but you know, like the Pitchfork guy. Yeah. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, like Teehee, Pitchfork, Red Pajamas, Poke People. No, I can <laughs> see that. And, um, oh, you've thrown me off there, Joe. Thank you. Um, I mean, I, I never derail either of you, so why would you do that to me? And basically at the start, you've got kind of like a, um, Home Alone style situation with one of the main characters, the young boy who's Max. And he has basically a fairly kind of crappy start to the Christmas period because in the run up to Christmas, there's the token nativity play. He gets into a bit of a fight. He ends up walloping another kid. He gets back and dad's fed up. I mean, dad's a pretty well acted character. Dad is acted by Adam Scott and uh, mum, Tony Collette. Uh, mum and dad, really well acted characters, I have to say that. So they're kind of frustrated trying to keep things in order. But then just as they're saying, you know, okay, we'll get yourself settled, calm down, it's gonna be a good Christmas. They effectively get gate crashed by the extended family. So Tony Collette's sister arrives and there's sort of a turbulent relationship going on there between Tony Collette and her sister. But the sister kind of arrives for Christmas, but she's brought her family as well. And there's, can you remember the children in that? Yeah, they're great. <laughs> no, they are, they are, they're, fanatic, they're fantastic. So there's, there's these two twin girls and they're kind of raised in a very masculine way and they like guns and beating up the poor lad Max and basically they terrorise him so Max is dreading Christmas when they arrive because he's thinking ah, that's it Christmas is ruined now because my cousins have arrived and um his hillbilly cousins kind of turn up and the family basically complain about Tony Collette's cooking Adam Scott the dad's kind of character is trying to keep things calm and then Eventually, what happens at the dinner table, the cousins, the rather nasty cousins, find a letter to Santa that Max has written. And the letter is along the lines of, Dear Santa, bearing in mind this, this kid, uh, Max, he's kind of, he's, he's in his early teens, maybe sort of 12, 13. So he's, he's quite big, you know, but the cousins read this letter to Santa and Max is asking Santa to kind of, get his parents to be romantic again, how they used to be, and be more kind of relaxed. And he wants his family to be closer. Yeah, exactly. It's very kind of feel good. good. It's like, oh, yeah, precisely. What a good kid. And the cousins effectively kind of go, lame, and make him cry at the table. And he runs off pretty upset. And then basically kind of rips up the letter to Santa chucks it to the sky and says bollocks to it you know sod christmas it's cancelled and krampus is like gotcha message received i will respond so then max's sister beth on kind of christmas morning looks out and it's that blizzard scene that I described in the last episode, which Joe corrected me, is a standard North American winter. It's just typical. It really is. I mean, actually, <laughs> take us through what a typical North American winter's like, uh, Joe, just for our European listeners or uh, our English listeners. What, what's it? How bad is a, a blizzard? All right. So the year that I left North America, um, the you know the winter storm that we had. Uh, 
it got down to negative 50 degrees centigrade and we had 24 inches of snow. Uh, that's, I mean, that's pretty deep. Um, people were taking, they were taking tractors to work. Um, it was, it was just really funny. <laughs> um, that was, you know, typical Midwestern snow dump. We are just used to that. We handle it. We, I mean, most of the businesses in town didn't close. Um, it's just, everybody has a, a run on uh, bread, milk, and eggs. Apparently everybody in the Midwest makes French toast when there's a blizzard or whatever, but um, we're just used to it. And yeah, you, you make fun of people in the United States for driving SUVs or whatnot. And you laugh at them until it becomes winter. And then all of a sudden they're the only people that can get to work or the only people that can plow through these things. Mm. Or there's like, a significant amount of water on the road and they just head rush, you know, go right through it. So yeah, there is there. While not everybody needs that. There is a reason why Americans can tend to go for that. Um, yeah. I remember, you know, uh, a British friend of mine, they came over from, you know, obviously the UK and I picked them up from St. Louis airport and we were driving North and we were just on the highway. Now, there was snow coming down. It was night. I mean, it wasn't really night. It's like that 5 p.m., the sun's down, winter thing. And there was snow on the road. And I was going 40 miles per hour. And for me, that was perfectly normal. And that was appeasing all of the nervous wrecks in the car. But they just still weren't used to the snow. So I was labeled as someone who was playing with their lives. And I needed to, you know, like we needed to pull <laughs> over and wait for it to end. And we needed to go, you know, to a restaurant and just wait it out. Yeah. It don't work like that. The storm just, the storm no. just keeps going. You know, it's, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. And people in the Northeast coast of the United States, they get it to the people in basically along that Canadian band, like they all know what I'm talking about, but yeah, being from the Midwest, I like to think that, you know, like we get the extreme. So we get, you know, the worst of the heat, we get the worst of the winters. And, you know, like there's like that small band in between, you know, like autumn and spring where it's like, Oh, this is all right. <laughs> but yeah. So Krampus totally gets just like a standard North American winter. If you're going to be in a state where it snows, you can expect to see like that kind of winter you really can't I mean, it it looks stunning in the film but we'll take our first break and we'll return and then i'll wrap up my review of the film yeah, dorothy finish it with pleasure hey everyone this is greg from red shirts and runabouts we're the resident star trek podcast as part of the heroes podcast network group if you love star trek and things science fiction we're definitely the show for you Join us as we talk about Star Trek Discovery, the new Picard show, and other ongoing content and new creations from the Star Trek universe. If you want to find us, search Red Shirts and Runabouts podcast on Apple and Google Play. And if you want to interact with us as a host, you can find us at Red Shirts Pod on Twitter. Hello and welcome back to Kaiju Curry House. Um, I'm Paul and we're here with Joe and Alex. Uh, Alex was just talking about Krampus and is going to uh, finish off now, I believe. Over to you, Alex. Yeah, so we were talking about that blizzard setting in Krampus, and certainly for myself, that's the strongest aspect of the film for me. They get the setting absolutely spot on. So the the young boy, Max, he kind of, you know, angrily tears up his letter to Santa, sends it to the sky, and Krampus responds, and there's a whiteout. It's the weirdest thing. There's no cars, no people. How long can this keep up? And not just a whiteout with blizzard. There's actually a blackout because all the electricity goes. And effectively, this family and extended family that are very dysfunctional are locked down together and start to work cooperatively. So there's a good message in that sense. Now, Adam Scott's character, his mum who's um, Germanic, I believe, Omi, she's a strong character in the film because she clocks on very quickly what's going on. I don't want to give away too many spoilers, but uh, the character Omi says, keep the fire lit, keep the fire lit. And eventually the fire goes out 
And they're all like, you know, what's going on? And she sort of says, Krampus, you know, Krampus is here. And she reminisces to her childhood when she saw Krampus. So this, um, this Krampus figure basically torments and stalks the family. And Adam Scott and his wife's, um, his wife's brother, I believe it is. Or let's get this right. It's, um, what's the relation? It's like a, a brother-in-law, one of the extended family who's much more sort of a gun nut, basically takes the attitude, no, we need to hunt it down and kill it. But the trouble is, is that Krampus is pretty fast on his feet. And, you know, they're against the elements and they're against Krampus himself. So it became sort of a sort of cat and mouse style situation. Does that seem like a fair assessment, guys, from what you can remember? Yeah, he's definitely toying with them, but it's more just like leading them farther and farther away from the house so that his minions can have their fun. Yes. Yeah, because there's Krampus himself as a monster, and then there's sort of like his his pet kaiju um, minions who basically torment the family. And, you know, how do I feel about it as a film? I mean, I I alluded to it briefly in the last episode. I think the setting is fantastic. The characters were good. Krampus himself, I thought, looked fantastic, but within the film, I feel that he's underutilised. Not enough was done with him, and I wanted to see more of that. So I came away from the film feeling like, you know, and what else? But that was it. Now, if I had to rank it out of 10, it sort of sits around the 6.5, I'd say, out of 10. What about the two of you from what you can remember? I'm trying to remember it. I'm probably going to watch it actually, as it's a it's a festive film. We're in the holidays now. Yeah, I would probably say it. Yeah, it was about a six or a seven. It's a festive film. <laughs> well, it's it's yeah. a, it's about the family getting together at Christmas. Exactly. What, what? It's fine. Yeah, as a film, as a kaiju flick, because it's most definitely a kaiju film. It's fine. It's not amazing. I don't even think it's very good. I think aspects of the film are very good. But there are other points to it that I thought, no, a lot more could have been done. And at this point, I am going to hand it over to Joe, who is going to take him through, uh, sorry, take us through his film. What have you got for us, Joe? Well, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to ramble about Reign of Fire for a bit. So I love Reign of Fire. It's directed by Rob Bowman, who I think does really great moody atmospheric sort of pieces. So Reign of Fire is about, we'll call it contemporary, you know, England. And um, someone wakes up a dragon and that dragon has babies. And then we flash forward 10, 15 years and dragons have just more or less taken over. How did they go from one to a million in less than a year? And humanity is just kind of like clinging to what remnants are left. It's great. It's post-apocalyptic. And it's just about a ragtag group of people that are just going to try and change things. I think it's great. And it's a genius bit of filmmaking because they only had to think about one color, which was gray. Um, So I think that this film is really, you know, it's kind of funny because it's not exactly lauded as a masterpiece of cinema. It's kind of described as a Hmm. flop. But when you look about, when you look back at it with nostalgia tinted glasses, it's actually a pretty darn good film. So at 102 minutes, it isn't quite that two-hour giant monstrosity that a lot of things can be nowadays. Like we're getting two plus hours for any big motion picture. You had three like what are now power names. You had Matthew McConaughey, Gerard Butler, and Christian Bale all together in the same movie. And you had really great dragons. You had great, realistic, pre-Game of Thrones dragons. A species older than the dinosaurs and more terrifying than anything we could have imagined. And I think Game of Thrones like owes a lot of what its dragons are to Reign of Fire. So the film is basically about Christian Bale's character. Um, He's got this small community that he looks after in an old castle. And 
they've just kind of retrofitted it to just be like a stronghold, which castles are. But the community is living inside it when they need to. They have a small plot of land where they try and farm things. They're just eking by. And then Matthew McConaughey's character, who's American, shows up and tells them how to properly slay dragons. You know, this is a great thing. An American telling British how to do a very British thing, a la St. George. <laughs> but, um, you know, he, he rocks up and lo and behold, they kill a dragon. There's nothing magical about it. They're made of flesh and blood. You take out their heart, you bring down the beast. Of course, they you know decide to go south to hunt more dragons, and they end up pissing a big one off, and it just comes by and lays waste to this. So then, poor Christian Bale, you know, having lost you know his friends, you know his his way of life has been upended. So he's just like, you know what, Matthew McConaughey, I've really got nothing less to lose. Let's just go into you know the center of hell, so to speak, and let's just kill this big bad dragon that's supposedly causing all the mischief it is dragon that's a nasty way to speak about london it is no it it has become (laughs) hell i mean like if you've got 200 dragons living in central london you know it is not a great place to live and if you you watch the movie i mean it is literally on fire with dragons flying around it looks like hell yeah but um yeah anyway uh they go down they're they're gonna try and kill dragon prime which they found you know like um Matthew McConaughey kind of knows the secret. So they have great vision of the day, even better at night. But in the waning hours of like morning and twilight, they, they, their eyes can't focus. It's the magic hour. So that's when you go after them. And apparently the only way to like really kill something this big is to shoot an explosive arrow down its gullet. And guess what they managed to do? Roll credits. But it's a great film. And... It has amazing special effects. It is well acted. It is well paced. And Mm. I think it has one of the best dragon sequences of any film. And it's not even the scene with the big one. It's the scene where they, uh, they, they basically, they call them uh, angels or something like that. And they uh, jump out of helicopters first one jumps out dragon goes after that and the guy is basically got a parachute on his back and he's diving towards the earth headlong the dragon's following it he's the bait and then you have the two gunners you know leap out of the helicopter afterwards and they fire nets at the dragon so the dragon can't fly and the dragon plummets to death they all parachute and they live that is how they're killing the dragons or if the dragon somehow manages to live through the fall they've got tanks so that sequence when they jump out of the helicopter and it's on that was a truly fantastic sequence i think the dragon was used to great effect the action the thrill it's really great because it's it's in northern england there's a fog as 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 there would be it's cloudy because you know it's it's england this you know why not and it's sooty, it's smoggy because dragons are populating the earth. So what they're jumping through is pea soup. So it's just, it's really great. You don't have to see the dragon nose there. It kind of has that Jaws mentality going along. And he's playing hunting. More like cat and mouse. Now that's not to say that you don't see the dragons immediately in the film. The first sequence of the film is basically how the big one is woken up. And I love this movie um, because I saw it originally in the United States as a United States citizen, and I came over here and I rewatched it. I'm like, oh, I've been there. Hey, I've driven down that road. Oh, I've sat at that fountain. Hey, this is cool. Because, <laughs> you know. It, Travel logging of dragons. Yeah, yeah, it's just kind of like, because they, they go over a wide breadth of the United Kingdom mm. in this film. You know, if you live in the UK, it's like, hey, I know that road. Oh, wow, it's it's less clogged. You know what I mean? Like it. You know, there's there's still cars, you know, just kind of like upended all over it and everything. But you could probably, you know, make better time now. But um, I mean, it's it's fun. You've actually really you've you've really sold the film to me. I, I want to watch it again now because <laughs> I, I I remember going to the cinema and being quite young when it came out. What what year did it come out? It came it? out in two thousand and two. Okay, so I was fourteen maybe 13 14 and i remember kind of coming away being like ah that was great dragons were great and i think 
the lasting image in my mind was um Matthew McConaughey's character jumping with that axe. And it oh, just, yeah. It, yeah, I mean, like, so my, my heart was in my mouth as I watched that. I thought, this is awesome. And my parents being like, it was all right. I'm like, no, it was cool. I really enjoyed it. But I feel like time has actually been kind to that film rather than unkind. I know lots of people who speak really highly of it. It is it is a good film. And it's it's interesting the approach that they took with it again they wanted the dragons to be as realistic as possible you see disney actually owned the uh production company that made reign of fire which is really funny uh touchtones pictures is owned by disney so what the guys wanted to do is disney released dinosaur in 2000 i don't know if any of you've seen that but basically it's it's an animated film we have pretty realistic environment yeah we have pretty realistic environments we have pretty realistic cgi dinosaurs but the dinosaurs talk because it's a disney film Mm -hmm. but they look but they look great up close and the directors they you know just recently they'd had that jurassic park had raised the bar let's not forget dragon heart like placid had come out relatively recently you know like we'd had you know like a string of large scaly dangerous you know things coming out but they wanted their dragons mm. to be dark. They wanted them to be dangerous. They wanted them to be, you know, like... Yeah. Th- they really wanted them to be believable and yet the stuff of legend. And they succeed so beautifully in that. Like, anybody who's seen the film... Like, if I wanted, if I wanted to call out a realistic dragon, I wouldn't go to Game of Thrones. I would instantly say Reign of Fire has the most realistic dragons of any film. I mean, Vermithax mm. from uh, Dragon Slayer, like, that's a great dragon, too. Draco from Dragonheart. You know, you, you, you have a lot of great dragons throughout cinematic history. But Reign of Fire, they went above and beyond because this is this post-apocalyptic world, you know, like, that's been destroyed by dragons. They had to make that one element so believable because yeah. it was the dragons that carried the film. If you didn't believe the dragons were a real threat, if you didn't believe them as organic living creatures, you were never going to accept the premise of the film, Yeah, which is fantastic. They did a great job. So the other great thing about Reign of Fire, which everybody's going to love now, is the film, the post-apocalyptic setting, is actually set in 2020. So 2020 is a great, I mean, this could be your great, like if you got nothing else to do, this is your, a great New Year's movie for you. Um, I think that it, it has just that right amount of, you know, like sci-fi kaiju, like out there goodness that it could really hold like a fun night, you know, like with a couple of friends. Um, if you look online, it doesn't have generally favorable reviews, but it's just kind of like a great, like sit back and chill film. Um, I think critics were overly harsh of it. I mean, it, obviously it has a bunch of really good actors in it. I mean, Everybody is everybody there. They do what they do, and it's believable. Um, it's hard to act with special effects. A lot of this is uh, CGI. There was a great, you know, large scale dead dragon built. That was a great prop for the actors to interact with. However, the CGI dragons, because they spend the majority of the time flying, that's what they were given to act with. So they had to use their chops there. So going back. You know, originally where the film was called a flop, it technically made more than it cost. It made, you know, $82 million on a $60 million budget. But... Okay. Hmm. Not not great, but... No, that's that really isn't great because <sighs> it, theaters take a chunk of that. Marketing yeah. takes a chunk of that. But it keeps getting re-released on video and there were actually like a few tie-in games too. I actually played the the uh, tie-in game for the GameCube when it came out. I vaguely remember that. Yeah. I don't think it was, well, I mean, you were playing, didn't you get to play as the dragon? Yeah. yeah. You could play in the human campaign, which was actually more fun than the dragons. The dragons were, that was a terrible campaign. I don't <laughs> think the mechanics were really well thought out. If it was a GameCube game, so it's not like we're talking about the next gen consoles that we have right now, but at the same time, the GameCube game was clunkier than a lot of things that were out at the time. So that didn't really help either. But the film, I think it was marketed well. Like if you look at the trailers, like they give you everything you need to know. A 
creature has been awakened that has lain dormant for millions of years. The poster art, it looks good. The film, like I said, it's atmospheric, it's moody, it's great. I mean, obviously it isn't believable because it's dragons, but at the same time, the dragons, once you watch the film, they are believable characters in that universe. There is nothing about them that seems silly. No, they are fantastic. The design's brilliant. I I think it's great. I'd give it a solid 8 out of 10. Wow. Solid 8 out of 10. Yeah. So I remember seeing it at the cinema and I don't... I remember enjoying it, but not being in love with it. And then I think I watched it later on and enjoyed it more on the second viewing. Because I think, like like Alex said, it did. It seems to have got better with age. It really has. It, it, again, because it's set in a post-apocalyptic world where technology is kind of stood still and people are just trying to eke by, it will age well because it doesn't have that people on enormous cell phones or yeah. things like that. Or like, <laughs> wow, that like Karen the Hendersons, like, wow, that wallpaper's from the eighties. It doesn't have that. Yeah, yeah. Because London looks very similar now to the way it did at the start of the film um, back in 2000 and 2002. I mean, there are things in London that have changed, obviously, like the cars will look different that are driving around and stuff. But oh, yeah. it, it doesn't really show you that. It just shows you like a general construction site, like Trafalgar Square or somewhere around there. I don't know. But I'm sorry, I'm an American. I don't know the London geography as well as I should. I apologize. But <laughs> anyways... Um, London, because it's so full of landmarks and great old buildings, like that architecture isn't going to change anytime soon. So London will look more or less, and post-apocalyptic wasteland will look like post-apocalyptic wasteland. <laughs> yeah, it's always going to be the same. So it's going to age well. I think that that's the beauty of making films like Rain of Fire. You know, they they do a great job in that sense. Like Mad Max, Mad Max is going to age well because oh yeah, you know, <laughs> it's post-apocalyptic world. But there you have it. I, I think it's a really solid movie and i'll give it a hearty recommend awesome okay so should we take our final break for the evening and then i'll come on with my go oh go on then there we are (laughs) recently on the heroes podcast network echo station well what's the main what's the main planet that indoor the forest moon of indoor it's a moon so it's there's a major planet obviously that it is the forest moon of indoor is indoor the actual planet then see isn't that confusing Yes. Is it the forest moon of the planet Indoor, or is it the forest moon called Indoor? Kaiju Curry House. It got to the point where he started climbing the Empire State Building, and my mom is like, he's not going to die, is he? <laughs> oh no. My mom doesn't know shit about these films. But anyways, it was just like, mom, this doesn't end well for Kong. And she's just like, I can't watch the rest of this. Turn it off. I'm like, you can't get to this point in Peter Jackson's King Kong two hours and like whatever many minutes later and not watch the end. Screen heroes. The nipples just were confusing to me because they just (laughs) just make no sense. That is our clip, by the way. Uh, uh, But I mean, male nipples are kind of confusing anyway. Right? Like they serve zero purpose. Do you think that was the point he was trying to make? (laughs) It's a much deeper message. Yes. Is Batman and Robin a heavily an allegory, social allegory? Yeah. <laughs> Subscribe today at heroespodcast.com, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, Podcast Addict, and more. The wake up early, do a little studying, take the dog out, finish that audiobook until the very end. Finish that workout, then stop by McDonald's for breakfast and somehow manage to do it all before that 10 a.m. meeting meal. There's a meal for every morning at McDonald's. Start your morning with a bacon, egg, and cheese biscuit, McChicken biscuit, or a Chicken McGriddles, and get another for just a dollar on McDonald's D123 menu. Price and participation may vary. Cannot combine with any other offer or combo meal. Small business owners, is your internet making office tasks painfully slow? Are your file upload speeds sluggish? Are your video calls ch- Oppy, you need more speed. AT&T Business Fiber gives you up to 20 times faster upload speeds at half the price of cable. Faster upload speeds mean smoother, less glitchy video conferencing and faster file transfers. Visit att.com slash business fast or call 844-702-FAST to get our best price on our best service. Imagine it, up to 20 times faster upload speeds at half the price of cable. 
AT&T experts can help you upgrade to AT&T Business Fiber. Soon, you're going to love your internet. Call 844-702-FAST now. Comparison by Telogical Systems, 12-2020. Hello, and welcome back to Kaiju Curry House. This is your host, Joe, and joining me right now is Paul. We've lost Alex to a good night's sleep. But Paul is going to be taking us through something different. He doesn't have a film to discuss right now, but he has an episode of a television show, DC's Legends of Tomorrow. Paul, take us through what you want to talk about tonight. Okay. So, yeah, I'm, I'm mixing it up a bit. Instead of talking about a film, I'm going to talk about a TV show, uh, in particular just one episode. So DC's Legends of Tomorrow, for those who do not know, is a band of superheroes, for lack of a better word, who have a time machine. And when there's an anomaly, uh, I can't even say the word, an anomaly in the time. Anomaly? Anomaly, yeah, in the, in time, like the, the, the ship's AI detects it and says something's gone wrong. And so these, these legends will need to travel back to that point in time and correct whatever's changed. Um, so this is a spin-off from other DC shows such as The Flash and Arrow. Um, and every so often they do a big crossover that has all the series together. But the legends just focus on time travel. It's very easy watching. It's lighthearted. There's a few serious moments, you know, there are some like love stories and deaths and things that happen, but overall it's pretty tongue in cheek. Um, this episode that I'm going to talk about it, it you know, there's, there's like a moment of sadness and, and seriousness, but the rest of it is just fun. So I'll tell you about it now. It's series four, which is their mystical series. So it's kind of different themes. And in this one, through the acts of how season three ended, they've basically messed up and magical beasts are now going through the timeline. Whose brilliant idea was it to let an ancient demon out of his bloody cage? Well, you opened the door, love. And Malice wasn't the only thing that got out. So uh, I think the first episode opens with uh, a unicorn appearing at Woodstock and killing all the hippies. And so they have to go there and you know, stop the slaughter because it, it, suddenly the ship says, oh no, there was a massacre at Woodstock and you know history's changed because of that. And so they have to go and change it. Um, in this one, there's an, an anomaly. There we go. In Tokyo in 1951. Uh, so the scene opens black and white and they're filming i'm not sure what the film is they're they're doing some filming at a dock there's some people in like um scuba suits trying to get something out of the water and then suddenly there's this loud screech and the camera kind of pans over and you just see in the reflection of the lens this giant tentacle come up and like splash down the water that's it then it then cuts full color present day we're on the spaceship and they're now watching this footage that suddenly appeared in the timeline. Um, and it says, you know, this footage appeared a few days later. Tokyo's been destroyed. So we need to travel back in time. We're going to recover the footage. So there's no record of this beast. And we're going to stop the creature from destroying Tokyo. So they, you know, get dressed up in 1950s clothes, go to Tokyo, pretending to be studio heads from America who are interested in their film and they go to see the director who is, and I better get this name right, Ishura Honda? Ishura Honda. Yes, yeah. you might have heard of him. <laughs> oh, I think I think a lot of our listeners will have heard of him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so they're, they're, they're there. Uh, they've traveled... Yeah, they've traveled back to, to 1951 and there he is. He's uh, showing them his set, which is a model replica of Tokyo City and um, there's like an airplane on strings and there's people pushing cars along this little model city and he's showing them how his like how his lens makes it look realistic and all of this um, so that's absolutely great uh, nice little nods there throughout the whole thing and they they're kind of looking around they they get the footage thinking right okay we've got the footage now we need to deal with the creature one of the people is actually well, one of the team members is a mystical creature a, a shapeshifter that they've got and they've kind of they're working with them uh, she mm-hmm. believes that 
um, basically, we shouldn't just kill the creature because, you know, it's going to destroy us. We need to maybe understand it or, or find out more about it. Because she's thinking, well, actually, is it a mystical creature that, that you need to kill? Or is it something man-made by the nuclear weapons that you've been dropping? Yeah, so again, more more nods towards the kaiju. Yeah, this is this is very Godzilla esque, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, it's, it it is very Godzilla esque. I didn't know that. See, I've I've never watched Legends of Tomorrow, so I guess it's. I mean, I'm not going to call it Doctor Who, but in a sense, it almost seems like Doctor <laughs> Who. Doctor Who, you know, like he'll he'll cheekily like wade through history, and his shenanigans kind of cause history. Whereas I guess Legends from Tomorrow, okay. Legends of Tomorrow, they kind of clean up history, or they're like the people that come yes. in after Doctor Who's caused all this mischief. They clean it up so that it's <laughs> That's, normal yeah. again. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Because I mean, so there are villains who are trying to mess with the timeline, like trying to get Hitler into power, or try and you know eliminate. That's a naughty thing pits. to do. Yeah, or you know they're trying to destroy, like kill Einstein or something. So you know, there's there's all these great um, historical figures you'll see in the TV series and it's just trying to then be manipulated to do something that they obviously shouldn't do that's going to affect the timeline for the worse yeah so obviously in this one we're going to see the director of Godzilla and um, his his, well in 1951 he wasn't doing creature features I don't think was he he was doing other films I'm assuming Godzilla was his first kaiju film I could be wrong yeah it was it was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So this is set before Godzilla, um, and he was filming. Yeah, he was obviously filming something else, but they had a model city in. There's also another. There's like a side story here about Thanksgiving dinner um, and a workplace romance, and there's like a warlock, um, John Constantine. You might have heard of him. Oh, John Constantine's great. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's also a t- he's also in the legends. He's like kind of been brought on board for this series to help with all the like sending the creatures back to hell, basically. So yeah, he's he's oh, um, well there. It's a little less friendly, <laughs> but oh well. Yeah, but yeah, he's he's a lovable guy. So yeah, there's a whole side story with with him and others. But back in the fifties, they find out that the creature is actually from a book. So he's not a nuclear weapon. He's not uh, a mystical beast. He's actually from a book. It's and this is for the bit. It said it's an agent of Bridget, who's the Celtic goddess of art and creation, and she's basically gifted humans this book. And what they write comes true. All right. And so the director is writing down his nightmares about this giant land octopus. And sure enough, it comes true. So like the mythical creatures, they're saying, great, you know, this goddess has given humans the book as, as a gift and you're using it to create a weapon. Yet another nod towards scientists and their... Those scientists, gosh... Telling you what creations are used, yeah. But the, I mean, this is a this is a goddess here, you know. Giving humans a book, and what do we do? We destroy things with it. And the director's then says, "Well, actually, he doesn't say this casually. Cause this is like the serious part of the film. He's saying he talks about Hiroshima and um, how that inspired him to do his film, and how he's that's that's what he's right. That's what his nightmares are about. He's, he talks about wow. trying to find his family, and then he realizes that." That he's breathing them in and they're on his skin and it's, you know, it's all this ash and death. And so, you know, the show just suddenly takes this horrible dark turn to, you know, talk about the horrors of, of nuclear war and how he's turning that into his artistic vision to help deal with it. And then it goes back to fun again. Then we, we'll be back to this office romance uh, that I mentioned. And I sh- <laughs> the office romance that's going on is actually in an institute where they capture kaiju to study them and the kaiju have now escaped but because it's thanksgiving there's not really many people there so you can see that this show is all over the place this sounds like a great episode this is this sounds like a great episode so yeah <laughs> why have i not heard about this show before so now the this um these um two that are on a date are now going to try and hunt down the creatures and get them back in their pens uh, that's a little side story going on we kind of just we kind of see the creatures escape, and then it goes back to the fifties, and we see the giant octopus now. For whatever reason, he's now approached the film studio outside, and so the legends, a few of them, have, have gone to fight it, and you know they're doing their best. They're doing their spin kicks and not really having much effect. They can just avoid the tentacles as best they can, and they happen to have a shrink gun, which is fantastic. So. They managed to shrink it down to kind of like a human-sized octopus now. 
Um, and then it escapes into the sewers. And they're like, right, okay, at least it's not going to destroy the city anymore because it's smaller. We then go back to kind of in inside the film studio. We cannot stay here. Agamor will find us. And the octopus is now on the film set. So he's now a human-sized octopus, but he, he is a now appearing giant because he's on the film set. And someone is now rewriting the story in this magical book. What are you doing? Quiet. Concentrate. Nick is a writer. The journal has bonded with him. Bloody hell. That's it. We're doomed. And, and they create a female samurai who, for whatever reason, has three breasts um, to come and fight the creature. Wow, that, that, that took like a... On the movie set. <laughs> that took like a Paul <laughs> turn, didn't it? I say it's it's a light-hearted show. <laughs> Not you, Paul, but like the movie, but like the movie Paul. Like, goodness, really. oh right, that's a running gag in the movie Paul with the aliens. Like, oh, what? You should you should watch that movie, children. Oh, because I always think of Total Recall. Oh yeah, yeah, either that way too. Oh, jeez, I didn't think that gag was as popular as it is. Your creation was magnificent. I was thinking about a fourth boo. Three was plenty. Yeah, yeah. So it's yes. It also appears in this show. So yeah, this guy's got this samurai. So we're now watching. Oh, the, the director goes and he's starting to film this fight scene now, taking place in his model city. And so we're just seeing a, a, a samurai and an octopus fight it out. And you know, it, I think it, I think it ends with her like running and sliding under it with the sword and cutting it from underneath to defeat it. And then it kind of all shrivels up and dies. And the octopus through this whole time is CGI. What everything else is kind of prosthetic, prosthetic um, effects. So she's all just all makeup, and he's not really there. But I mean, it's a, despite being a TV show budget, there's not that much going on, so it looks decent enough. You know, you're not distracted all by being cheap CGI. So that's all well as it ends well. The octopus is dead. They then go back to um, this office romance, and. They found out that to get all the kaiju to calm down and get them back, they actually just need to give them some food because they were hungry. Basically, the woman goes out and gets some Chinese takeaway for them, and, and then they're happy. Oh, oh, it's good. It's so good. And then right, not right at the end, but pretty much the end this of... Is, this is all one episode? <laughs> this is just one episode, yeah. Crepes. Um, to, but, to, yeah, there's um, so there's lots of stuff like a bit further on. Because there's, there's another Thanksgiving story. It's a, it's a Thanksgiving episode. There's like another story about making it home in time and traveling back in time so they're not late for dinner and all of this. But um, to end the section that we care about with, with you know, Mr. Honda and, and the film, as the guy who wrote the, the bit in the book at the end, he kind of he kind of walks out and s- says, like, hey, forget about the octopus. Lizards are king. <laughs> and it's just... And then the director goes... King, the king of monsters. I like that. <laughs> you just think, my god! <laughs> but it's so cheesy that you love it. That is cool. That, that's fun. That is fun. So it's it is a really. How good... long are these episodes? Forty-five minutes. Okay, okay. That's like that, that's that's almost like I, I tend to think of a film as like a film film, like a movie as an hour. So forty five minutes. That that's in close. Okay, I was gonna say yeah, they so, jam packed a lot into like twenty five minutes to half an hour. No, no, it's, yeah, the forty five minutes each. I say there's lots of stuff in between because there's obviously like a, a series story arc going on. But for the sake of yeah, you you could just watch this episode quite happily and ignore the bits in between. Yeah, or you could watch the whole series. Watch this series, if anything, because it's this is the one that's quite you heavy. So, say I wanted to watch this, where could I watch Legends of Tomorrow? That is an excellent question. I would like to think that it's on because I mean it airs on Sky One. Okay. So I imagine it's on the Sky One catch up. Okay. Because they have all box sets, don't they, on Sky? I I believe. I mean, if not, I think you can buy the episode on pretty much any like YouTube for one ninety nine or something. But I don't know if it's on any streaming service. Okay. I can't say I've checked, actually. Fair enough. I was going to say, it's it- Krampus and Reign of Fire, you can easily just pop down to HMV or whatever, buy those. Those are on Amazon Prime. You know, it's just, they're easily fo- they're easily found. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Legends of Tomorrow, I haven't heard of it before, so. 
Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, because it because it is a TV series. I mean, I mean, yeah, I suppose I'll just have to look now. Okay, I, I can see season four. So the whole set is eleven pounds seventy nine on eBay on DVD. So it's not. Oh, there you go. <laughs> you know, drastically expensive. No, it's not. Yeah, fourteen pounds at HMV. Yeah, so you're looking ten fifteen quid for the whole season if you just wanted that one episode. Yeah, maybe you can buy it separately somehow. I'm not sure. No, no, just like if we wanted to find it. I was just curious. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I can't say I've seen it on on Netflix or Amazon, but I, I, I'd like to think that it's going to be on the Sky box sets because they normally have all their things on there. And it's definitely worth checking out. If, if just this episode, that's um, Series 4, Episode 5, and I think it's called Tagamo Attacks. Right. But yeah, good fun. Absolutely good fun. There we go. And I think that about wraps up our show today, doesn't it? Yeah, that about wraps us up. So, all right. Right. Paul, if nothing else... If nothing else, well, I'm going to make a promise. It's dangerous grounds there. That I am going to watch Cookie. <laughs> oh, cripes. I am going to watch Christmas with Cookie, and I invite all our listeners to watch it as well. It, over the festive season, it's actually, uh, if you wanted to buy it, it's 99p at the moment on Amazon. So, you know, you can give Alan some money and enjoy Cookie. I'm going to have a few drinks and watch it, and then I will let you know my thoughts once I've made it through to the end. <laughs> There we go. How about you, Joe? If nothing else? So if nothing else, folks, um, I was recently sent two comics, um, one of which I'm going to give a special shout out to here by a fellow named Bri- fellow by the name of Brian Del Rio. And it's called Kaiju Kingdoms. And it's by Mobley Comics. And Brian wrote this and to my knowledge, he did the art too, which is actually really good. Um it's kind of got an interesting vibe to it. I want to say it's kind of Legend of Korra meets Kaiju. I don't know. Um, it's its own thing. Okay. So if I read the back to you here, um, in a fantasy world of magic and Da Vincian machinery, a young explorer named Enzo del Corso undertakes voyage, journeying to the Forbidden East. Enzo enters the Kaiju Kingdoms, a mysterious land ruled by giant monsters. So there, Enzo will search and thwart his, his prophetic dream, a world of end, a world-ending horror summoned to the Earths from the depths of space. But anyways, it's um, it's a really cool comic. It's got some great art. It's well-written. It's a pretty interesting premise. It's original as far as I can, as far as I've read. And the monsters are well designed. There's kind of a Godzilla esque one, which is fun, but there's like an owlish, griffinish sort of thing too. Their Oni, Alex would go crazy with the yokai in here. It's the beautiful <laughs> full color illustrations. I was totally check it out. But yeah, um, I've spoken to Brian about getting him on the show and. He'll talk to us about it more, obviously, and the inspirations behind it. But I really enjoyed it as a comic. And the art, like I said, is fantastic as well. So check it out. Uh, give him a message. So is that one episode? Is that sort of one episode? Is that one one issue? Is it like a graphic novel? It's it's a graphic novel. He gave me the graphic novel, yeah. Okay. It's really nice. I, I quite like it. But there you go. Oh, sounds good. I'll have to check it out. Yeah, totally. Check it out. Sorry I butchered the back, though. I'm terrible at reading out loud. <laughs> Absolutely terrible. <laughs> But um, I really did like it. I really, really did like it. If nothing else, given that Tremors 7 has finished shooting in Thailand and it's due for a 2020 release, check out Tremors 6, A Cold Day in Hell. I have not seen it. I was recently gifted with a Blu-ray collection of the first six Tremors films, and I've only made my way through one and two. I've heard that three and four are a bit of a slog, so I've got my way to get towards number six. But check out Tremors 6 and have a speculation on what we can expect from Tremors 7 and, you know, talk about it, get a conversation going in our Facebook group because I'm keen to see where the changes are going to be made, what we can expect from Tremors 7. That's it from me. Thanks, Alex. Good shout. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, cheers. Can't go wrong with Tremors. Okay, well... Thanks, everyone, for listening. Happy holidays, and you'll hear us again soon. Yeah, folks, as always, keep it kaiju and happy holidays. Kaiju Curry House is part of the Heroes Podcast Network and produced by UK Kaiju with music by Flying Killer Robots. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe at heroespodcast.com or on the various podcast services such as Apple iTunes, Google Play, or just about any podcast app. If you want to get involved with the show, please tweet us at UKKaiju and check out UKKaiju.com for the latest news, events, and kaiju thoughts from all of us. Thanks for listening. Yeah, I'm recording. Me too. Me too. Three, two, and good. Um, oh dear Lord, what was that? That is our outtake. <laughs> <laughs> lizards. Lizards are king. King. When we made our new McDonald's spicy chicken McNuggets, you were praise hands emoji. Then we ran out, and you were screaming tears emoji. Now they're back, so you can be grinning face with sweat emoji. Order ahead on the McDonald's app. For a limited time at participating McDonald's. Me, 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 but also you. The Pharaoh fast-forwards his favorite foreign film. Powder donut. Okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. Oh man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm gonna need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The Name Your Price tool, only from Progressive. The owl and a foul of the comatose coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.